On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. John Gravenstein as we discuss the pharmacy leader's role in the COVID-19 vaccine. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lashley Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and The Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Dr. John Gravenstein is globally recognized vaccinologist, pharmacist, and epidemiologist. He has written more than 300 articles and 11 books, primarily on topics of immunization, public health, and leadership. He focuses on program implementation and interpersonal dynamics. He has received the Remington Honor Medal, Pharmacy's Highest Award, the Andrew Craigie Award, the APHA Gloria Niemeyer Frankie Leadership Mentor Award, ASHP's Award for Sustained Contributions to the Literature, the APHA Foundation Pinnacle Award, and many others, including those from Rho Chi, Phi Lambda Sigma, and the Institute for Safe Medication Practices. Dr. Gravenstein received his pharmacy degrees from Duquesne University, a master's degree in education from Boston University, and a PhD in epidemiology at the University of North Carolina. He has experience in over 50 countries and has served on committees advising the Department of Health and Human Services, Defense Department, and the Department of Commerce. Dr. Gravenstein is currently president of Vaccine Dynamics, and he serves also as associate director for scientific communications with the Immunization Action Coalition. In Dr. Gravenstein's previous roles, he served as global executive director of medical affairs for Merck Vaccines, leading scientific exchange activities for a global enterprise distributing over 180 million doses of 13 vaccines annually. He also served as director of the Defense Department's Military Vaccine Agency. He is a retired U.S. Army colonel, where he organized Immunization University to train clinicians from many health disciplines. In 1996, he authored Pharmacy-Based Immunization Delivery, a CDC-recognized 20-hour course coordinated by American Pharmacists Association that has trained over 300,000 pharmacists. Okay, let's jump into our interview with Dr. Gravenstein. John, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you. Bob, thanks for inviting me. Um, I usually don't talk about dates and times on the podcast because these podcasts are published several weeks after I do them, but this has been a very historic time, a very historic week. As we talk, there's two vaccines now that, that are approved. 
uh, for coronavirus. And last Monday, December 14th, uh, hospitals around the country administered the vaccine to their healthcare workers. What was your, what was going through your mind when, when you saw that on TV and, and sort of what were the emotions? Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it was the it, it, wow in a couple of different senses, uh, how fast the vaccine was proven to be effective, uh, how high that the efficacy number is 94%, 95%. You know, none of us knew if it, if it would work and, and how high it would be. And then to see uh, the, the uh, wide acceptance of uh, health professionals and so many pharmacists giving and receiving the vaccine. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it, it truly was. And as somebody who was administering vaccines, it was probably one of the most uh, humbling times in my career. I was a little nerve wracking. My hand was shaking as the camera shutters, you know, cameras were clicking. A really long time I found out. So can you just take a few minutes and walk us through the history of pharmacists and vaccines? So one of the best stories, I think, is from the 1890s. <clears throat> and if you think about Manhattan, you know, in New York City, it took a long time to cross Manhattan by foot or by horse. And so uh, diphtheria antitoxin was the new technology. And the uh, city health department uh, put stockpiles of, of diphtheria antitoxin into community pharmacies uh, because as depots. Uh, so that uh, physicians around the town could, you know, didn't have to come down to wherever the, the city health department was uh, uh, with that long, long distance <laughs> through, through Manhattan. And as refrigerators came along, uh, or as, as refrigerators displaced ice boxes, uh, pharmacies, pharmacists were warned, you make sure you buy that new machine, that new technology. Um, otherwise, we'll take the vaccines away from you that they were storing um, because for quality control uh, reasons. So yes. we've, we've been watching that for a long time. And then, you know, pharmacists were involved with polio vaccination, but as dose preparers more than vaccinators uh, more. And then, of course, in the 90s, we get into um, actual vaccination delivery in a big way. Wow. So I know you were at the forefront of that. And you developed some of the first courses. I know I took a course from APHA. And uh, how did you, why did you get interested in vaccines? What, what, <laughs> what was it about vaccines that interested you? And why, why has it become your professional passion and your, and your legacy? So I went through pharmacy school and an ROTC scholarship. So I owed uh, Uncle Sam four years of service when I finished. Mm -hmm. They assigned me to Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington. And I did inpatient, uh, I was an inpatient supervisor for two years. And then I took a special assignment working in the allergy immunology clinic. My predecessor had in that role had concentrated on theophylline kinetics. <laughs> you, you'll have to explain to your students what theophylline was. Um, exactly. You don't use that anymore. <laughs> but uh, but I, I got fascinated by this refrigerator full of medications that nobody had much drug information about. And it was the vaccine and antibody refrigerator, immunoglobulin refrigerator. And I just started, you know, going deeper and deeper and deeper learning, you know, so vex, you know, the drug information task took me into uh, epidemiology, essentially, as I learned how these vaccines worked and the, the scope and the scale of how they could have an effect in society. And I just got enchanted with 
uh, how much, you know, what a uh, incredible impact on, on millions of lives you could have with one medication, uh, a vaccine. And uh, so, you know, that started a, a 40 year, uh, 40 year specialty. Wow. Yeah. It is, it is pretty amazing how in your career you can develop like a passion just based on really coincidence at times. And that's what we tell our students, John, is that they should examine every opportunity that they have because as they continue to look at opportunities and experience things, there may be something that clicks. And for the students listening to this podcast in residence, John uh, saw something that clicked and he felt a passion for it. And we encourage all of you to, to try to find that niche that provides you with the passion and satisfaction. Keep your eyes and your ears open. The other, the other piece that's sort of corollary to that was each time the army would give me a new job, I would, you know, uh, master everything that needed to get done. And then I could go ask, and then, you know, I had the confidence of my bosses mm-hmm. and, you know, then I could go ask for permission to do some crazy uh, out of the box, out, you know, uh, kind of, uh, kind of project. And they would give it to me because I had built up their trust and confidence. Yeah. And it's interesting that one question I've really always wondered about is pharmacists are giving intramuscular injections and, here at Ohio State, we had a program where the pharmacy department uh, technicians gave various shots and medications, but pharmacists were out there giving shots. And how did how did you deal with the perception of of uh, others, physicians, nurses, in terms of pharmacists actually administering uh, an intramuscular injection? Not just I am subcutaneous too. We, right, correct, correct. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, so I would describe um, uh, people going through three phases, nursing and, and medicine. Uh, the first phase was surprise. You want to do what? <laughs> and uh, the second phase, and, and then they would think about it and realize how much work was going undone. And they would, and, and they would get to a, well, it's okay with me, but I don't know what everybody else will think. You know, they, they, could, they could rationalize it internally. And then the third phase was, you know, we really could use the help. And, um, and some, you know, some people never got past phase one or phase two, but not many. And, and mostly it was, the, it was the lobbyists in the state capitals who had to defend turf who, you know, refused to go further. But um, yeah, the, you know, everybody knew, you know, all we, had the key, you know, we were talking about what's the unmet need. Look, it, you want to vaccinate them? Vaccinate them, but you're not. You had you all haven't been. So so the community needs it. And it, it, I would get to the point of saying, okay, who diagnoses the patient as diabetic or with heart disease or with whatever the health condition is? The physician does. So right. the physician vaccinates the person that day. The pharmacist will never have a chance. That's right. And and in fact, we we did some later years later did some database analyses and looked to see that, you know, we went back into, with longitudinal health records to figure out how long or when people were first diagnosed with uh, various conditions and how long it would take to get them vaccinated. And it's still today years to, you know, wow. a year or two or three years. Wow. So, you know, pay attention. <laughs> 
That's amazing. So what percentage of the populate, what percentage of all vaccines are administered by pharmacists? I've always wondered, I've actually gotten that question as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, APHA tries to measure this and it's something like a quarter of all influenza vaccinations. Hmm. Okay. And um, uh, then, you know, then shares of everything else as well. Not, not much in terms of toddler vaccination, infant vaccination. I see. I see. Interesting. Yeah, you have really, I mean, your your journey with vaccinations and just, I wouldn't say convincing people, but actually working with, collaborating with various health professions really um, is sort of a case study for what pharmacy leaders have to do. I mean, uh, I think people can learn from the whole vaccination journey that you got to take it in steps, right? And you have to take sort of the wins when you get them and you may have some setbacks, you have to regroup and re-strategize. And, I, and I'm assuming that, that that happened quite a bit during this journey for you. Absolutely. I mean, there, there were some times, it, and it was fought, not fought, it, we, we, it, there was persuasion. Yes. Sure. Uh, and, but it happened, you know, at the, at the state level, so it had to go repeatedly. And, um, it, it, you know, some interesting trends, the the rural states, the, you know, where there are long distances, the somewhat poorer states, lesser uh, socioeconomic status, uh, were some of the first states to, um, to add on pharmacists. And, and uh, the, you know, in, in some of the, the high-intensity medical lobby states were some of the last. So. Such as New York and New England, that sort of New York and Florida. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I had heard that New York... Oh, it was only only recently uh, approved vaccinations uh, for pharmacists, and they've had they've had some, and they've had such some of the shortest lists, you know, fewest products and in, in narrow age ranges. But but you know the logic is clear. It, you know, it's only the only objection is turf, and so you know just as the uh, two thousand nine influenza uh, emergency arose, certainly yeah. nowadays. You know, look at look at the authorities that HHS is giving pharmacists overriding state law uh, during yes. the emergency. It's really phenomenal. Yeah, it really is phenomenal. And, um, you know, obviously we use uh, pharmacy students to vaccinate. And, and I got to tell you, I think uh, as a pharmacy student, having the opportunity to provide COVID vaccine like they're going to in the coming weeks is just a great professional opportunity for them. Um do you have any concerns uh, about the sort of the rapid nature of how this was all rolled out in terms of the, of the COVID vaccine? The, the most important point is that no step was skipped. Every one of the phases was conducted. The way that the time was accelerated was, uh, first, the U.S. government said, we'll absorb the financial risk. So yeah. proceed, do everything, and we'll pay for it, whether it works or not. That, that, so the financial risk part is a piece of it. And then, you know, many things were done almost simultaneously. Uh, and, and that's a risky um, approach financially yeah. in, case, in case the product didn't work. It would have been, you know, that you'd be seeing newspaper headlines about wasted, wasted taxpayer money. Uh, but that's how, that's how the, uh, uh, the schedule was uh, abbreviated or, you know, condensed. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it really, truly, truly, uh, you know, really is amazing. Um, let's say I'm a pharmacy director, John, and, and you know, it's, it's like six weeks ago or two months ago, and somebody says, we want you to set up 
a process for vaccinating our healthcare workers when the COVID vaccine is available. What are some of the leadership priorities that pharmacy directors need to be thinking about as they establish these vaccination clinics and vaccination areas for employees first, and then obviously patients down the road? So the first thing that you would assess is how good are the relationships I built in the prior months, right? Because you're going to start tapping into uh, your friends and your professional relations. So hopefully you've, you're, you're in a, a bed of roses already and you simply have another task to do and, and, and you don't have to go make friends or make, make good, make, uh, make up with. Um, it's a great other point. Yeah. The, you know, then you, you know, what, what are the, it's, it's, it's pretty simple project management. It's, um, you know, what are my, what are the assets I have to play with? What, what's the timeline I'm expected to work with? Do I, what could, I'll, yes, boss, I'll go make you a budget and see if you can afford it. Um, right. And, uh, but on, on the leadership side, so that, but most of what I just described is management. And, and I'm sure you've yeah. dealt with the difference in the past. The, the leadership parts are, I, I would oftentimes hear people casually say, oh, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know if, if we can handle that kind of complexity. And, and that, that's not leadership. Leadership is we're going to find the way. We're, yes, it's complicated. Yes, it's detailed. And we will, we will tease apart all the, all the steps that will lead to success. And we will have safety safeguards, um, you know, quality safeguards. And I'm going to need your help. And can you can you come together with me on this um, on you know to to meet this mission? And so so the vision is something that doesn't exist now, you know. Or, Correct. And, yeah. and then and then it's how do I build a team? How do I uh, get people to sh- change their priorities and 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 carve out time for the project and th- those sorts of things? So I, so so it's. You know, this is really about making something that doesn't exist today, uh, but it's and then it's building a team to get it done. Exactly. <clears throat> Again, that's what we try to teach our graduate students is that, first of all, when you're asked to con- do this project like we were six, eight, nine weeks ago, we had very little information. We had very little information about how to do this. Obviously, we knew how to establish vaccine flu blitzes, because we've done this here at the medical center. And it was sort of done in the same way, but there were all these confounding factors around storage, uh, security, management of the inventory, equipment, all of those things. But you're right. It, it really came down to this is the vision of what we want to do. And my my vision was I wanted pharmacy to, wanted the pharmacist to be an integral part, obviously, We don't have enough pharmacists to provide all vaccinations in all clinics because we've got other work to do, but I wanted pharmacists to be an integral part of the entire process. And I think many health systems have deferred at times to pharmacists doing other roles, pharmacists not involved in vaccinations. And I really think it's an important uh, role for us. And primarily with the recent COVID vaccine, John, uh, we, we had no wasted doses outside the EUA. Uh, during this last, you know, go around with the Pfizer vaccine. And we were very proud of that because we had pharmacists controlling the preparation, checking the doses, making sure that there were no errors, making sure that things were done right. So you're right. It is, it's about establishing a vision. It's about 
establishing a direction and then figuring figuring out how to get it done. And I think the whole COVID pandemic in my uh, eyes has been a test of pharmacy leaders. As you said to me when I sent you the email asking you to be on the podcast, I bet your residents have learned a lot and I bet you you've learned a lot. <laughs> and I can tell you yes, <laughs> yes to both. So yeah, the other piece is to be the the advocate for the patient. I mean, there's there's all this. I'm I'm representing the institution. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a, a big I'm a gear in the in the in the uh, in in how the institution's going to get it done. But remembering the humanity of it. Yes. The the the, the scared recipient, the skeptical recipient, uh, and 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 building it so that. Um, you, you know, if, if there's information that, that, that you know, you, you're respecting the person to be vaccinated is, uh, is important to keep in mind, too. That's a really, really good point. I think many times we get so mired up in the processes that we forget that at the end of everything that we do, there's a patient. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's, that's an incredibly important point. Speaking of skepticism, how... How would you recommend a pharmacy leader deal, number one, with skeptics, but then also what are some of the kind of crazy things you've heard about the COVID vaccine in particular that you'd like to dispel for our listeners? So um, the pharmacist needs to start from a basis of facts. He, he or she really needs to know what's the truth. You know, what, what do we know? What's the evidence? What do we not know? The evidence coming maybe. And you know, so you start from that. Um, you know, the, the, it, I'm sure the listeners have already started hearing some of this stuff that, you know, mRNAs are uh, going to mess with my genes. They're, they're going to rewrite my, my DNA. Well, no, uh, <laughs> mRNA is already in your body now. If we took the mRNA out of your body, you wouldn't make any new skin cells. You wouldn't heal when you cut yourself. Uh, you wouldn't make any new blood cells. Your children wouldn't grow any taller. mRNAs are a part of the natural Human function. Vaccine doubts have been around, you know, since you know, for since Edward Jenner and smallpox vaccine. But the internet, unfortunately, lets people spread uh, misinformation really fast. And so, no, there are no microchips in the vaccines. Um, the, the, one of the ones that's so so the patients right now, the recipients right now are our peers, the, the our other healthcare workers, and some of them don't trust vaccines or don't understand vaccines. And so, and a lot of them are uh, women of childbearing potential. And so these uh, crazy internet accusations that um, uh, vaccines will mess up their fertility. Yes, I've, yes, I have heard that. Yes. Hmm. You've heard the rumor. <laughs> there is no, there is no evidence. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I've heard the rumor. I've heard that from people. Somebody asked me where I work, and I said, "Yeah." And they said, "What are you about these vaccines? You're gonna, you know, these young people aren't. My daughter's not going to get it because she doesn't want her fertility messed up in the future." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, biologically, it's not plausible. Correct. It's scary, right? And so you have to stop and say, "No, no, no." Let's remember what the vaccines, do, how the vaccines work. They, you know, it, what, what's interesting, what's different about a vaccine is that it's intentional. It is an intentional stimulus of your immune system. You know, uh, you, you eat food that is not sterile and your immune system is stimulated. You breathe air that's not sterile and your immune system is stimulated. You cut your finger. My desk is certainly not sterile. Um, and, you know, and, and these things happen to men and women and they happen to women who are pregnant. And, 
sometimes those stimuli are vaccines, but usually they're not. And so, you know, part of it's, you know, getting things back into perspective. What's the evidence? I saw one the other day, um, um, you know, vaccines killed 35,000 troops in, you know, in the, in the last 10 years. I'm going, that is not true. I was there. I was in charge of the Department of Defense program. You were the person that was there. And it's just not true. And so anyway, so, so, you know, what is true, knowing the facts, um, and, you know, getting down in the data and, uh, and, and, you know, and I, I, there've been a series of documents that have been coming around about how to, uh, to build confidence. And I yes. out the word build and I insert the word earn with the earn confidence. That's and, a great point. Yeah. But it, so it's all about the listener. It's not about the speaker. Yes. That's a very good point. Oh, I'm just curious. What what is the uh, what is the effectiveness of the flu vaccine? Is it like fifty to seventy percent somewhere in there? It, it varies from year to year depending on how well it's matched um, and to the circulating strains. And lately, it's been you know fifty percent. So okay. um, you know ninety five percent for COVID vaccines is way better than oh it's it's on ninety five percent is like measles vaccine, polio vaccine. Yes. Yes, I, I remember as a kid, and you remember too, obviously getting the oral polio, correct? You went to school, they lined you up, and I got a sugar cube. So I have the records my mother kept of, uh, I was the fourth of four kids, and she she must have gotten each of the kids in line down at City Hall. Every day they offered any polio vaccine, because I got uh, uh, I got injectable, then I got oral, then I got injectable again. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I had a, actually a friend in Pittsburgh, which is where you were raised. He uh, he lived in Murraysville, and his daughter actually con- contracted polio because he lived out in the country, and she played a lot in the rivers and you know streams or in the country. And obviously, it's it's a waterborne virus, correct? And yeah. she you know she got it, and uh, she had some difficulties with it. So you know, had the polio vaccine been more widely available when she was younger, maybe you would have prevented that. So. Um, you know, it's, it's been really great, you know, to talk to you that these, these, now these conspiracy theories as people, you know, purport them, like, how do they get started? I, I just am always amazed. Like, how do, how how do these things get actually started? Somebody just makes it up and throws it out there or what? So, um, I I think some of it starts as, uh, I wonder if, and that gets translated into, I heard that. And so a speculation becomes, a, you know, a, a claim of a fact. But so that's the that's the innocent way they get started. And, you know, the, the social media and stuff uh, uh, amplifies that. But there are there are a few a very, very few folks who are spreading active disinformation. They are saying things that either they know not to be true or they should know not to be true. Uh, and uh, so that's um, fanning the flames. Or setting, sparking the fires, depending on how you want to do the um, do the uh, analogy. Hmm. So we have residents that are listening to this podcast. What what advice would you give to our residents as they embark on their career? Given you know your success and the things you've experienced, I, I think um, obviously it, it, at that stage it's a mix of uh, absorbing and and being proactive. I, I think when they when, you know, when they finish the absorption phase and get out into the, okay, I'm in charge now phase, or the, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a gear in the machine phase, 
to, yeah. to stay proactive. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of pharmacists who give flu. Uh, this is an analogy. Now mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of pharmacists who give flu vaccine when people ask for it, but they aren't being proactive in seeking out the ones who haven't asked for it or they'll give the flu vaccine, but not check to see what other vaccines they need. And so there's a complete the list, give the full menu, um, look up and tap, you know, tap people on the shoulders. Don't just wait for the request uh, or, you know, design, you know, do, do for them what you would want to have done for you. Wow. Um, what, so what, you know, again, the residents uh, listening to this really taking that advice will be helpful to them. Again, I, I've always given them the uh, advice to really seek out uh, new opportunities, learn from everything. And really, your analogies are really very helpful. Uh, what is it that you're reading or listening to that's inspiring you these days, John? Uh, let me give you one more example. And that, oh, okay. uh, Mike, Michael Hogue was the uh, resident at APHA in 1996 when we uh, did the first training program for pharmacists to vaccinate down in Jackson, Mississippi. And now he's APHA president. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. For, for reading, um, I have, for the last few years, I've been reading biographies, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of, of famous Americans, but I was doing a fair amount of international travel and, and so started reading about, I, I was, uh, I found myself in India quoting Gandhi to some Indians. I figured I better read Gandhi's biography. Um, and uh, so uh, Ben Franklin was a great one. Ben, you know, we think we criticize the media now for telling untruths. Ben Franklin printed stuff he knew to be false. Oh, wow. Uh, one, of the, one of the most fascinating ones was the biography of Ataturk, the founder of modern Turkey. And for a, uh, in, in the surprise parts of that are, is essentially how he liberated the women of, uh, huh. of, of Turkish society and uh, gave, gave them a full set of rights. And that, that was sort of, that took me by surprise. What was the motivation for that? I don't know. He started a separate language. I, I, it, it's been a while since I read the book. I'm sure it's yeah. laid out in what I read. Um, huh. But uh, just, you know, fascinating stuff. So, so you know, it's, it's uh, you learn history. I'm a history buff. You learn history that through those biographies, but you also, you know, how did, how did individuals deal with circumstances and, and that sort of thing. Wow, that is that's cool. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you, John. And a couple of things I wanted to uh, recognize you for the Remington uh, Honor Medal, which uh, you have received. Congratulations. Also wanted to thank you for your service in the military. Uh, I, again, I've always wanted to be in the military. I wasn't in the military and really admire uh, folks that uh, are committed to uh, the armed forces. So thank you for your service on that. And again, thank you for being on the show. And Folks, Dr. Gravenstein, he's uh, someone who has, uh, has experience in really taking a, an idea, uh, taking uh, something that he saw early on in his career, developed a passion for it, and grew it into a legacy. So, John, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks very much, Bob. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor. 
and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.